0: Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Father Nicholas Mancini, a priest of the Diocese of Youngstown, Ohio, and his six part series on the life and legacy of Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. And now, Father Nicholas Mancini.
1: Welcome once again. Folks, to Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, his treasure of clay, his autobiography, and the beauty of this servant of God whom we are discussing. We have looked at radio and television, some of his converts, some of his dynamic ways, the beauty of his humor, and now let's look at his life. As a bishop, Bishop Sheen writes this in his memoirs. My life as a bishop extended through three different activities missions as National Director of the Society for the Propagation of the Faith, as Bishop of the Diocese of Rochester, some would say after retirement. But I never retired, I retreaded, hence the activities after having resigned from the Diocese of Rochester. Before I plunge into those activities, I think it is well to say something about what it means to be a bishop. I shall show that it is really a frightening gift. When I was a fairly young priest, I was asked by Bishop Kelly of Oklahoma if he would allow me to submit my name to Rome as auxiliary bishop. I answered him saying, There are two ways of becoming a bishop. One is by a push and the other is by a pull. Since this is a push from someone on earth, I must reject it i shall wait until there is a pool from heaven that is to say under the inspiration of the holy spirit i certainly never became a bishop by a push i was ordained a bishop in rome in the church of saints john and paul i had some dim idea then of the responsibilities of being a bishop but not as clearly as I see them now. Just a year ago, I was invited by the bishops of the Philippines to give a retreat to them. They were all good men. They kept silence for a week, but it was in preparing my retreat for them that I became deeply conscious of the responsibilities of a bishop. As for months, I labored on what I would tell the bishops, I had deepening spiritual experiences about what it means to be a successor of the Apostles. There were three such deepening revelations. One was about the prayer of our blessed Lord the night of the Last Supper. He was praying then only for his bishops, namely the Apostles. And how did he describe us? As gifts of the Heavenly Father to himself, as our Lord said, Whom you have given to me. Notice the tremendous parallel between the bishops and himself. Our blessed Lord in that prayer said, I have come from the Father. And now he tells the bishops, You have come from the Father. That is why I have you. Secondly, our Lord said to the Father, You have sent me. And our Lord then said to his apostles, I sent you as the Father sent me. So we are tied up not only with our blessed Lord, but we are tied up closely as a gift from the Heavenly Father and the prayer that he made for us that we might be kept from the spirit of the world, that above all things else would destroy the power of the bishop. So this was the first inclination of a tremendous gift of being a bishop. And the second was the first gift of the spirit after Good Friday and Easter was to the bishops. We often think of Pentecost as being the first mission of the Spirit. It was not. It was to the bishops on Easter Sunday night. Doors were barred. Thomas was absent, and the Lord suddenly appears. He appeared to those bishops who slept in the garden, one of whom denied, and only one of whom was present at the cross. And what our blessed Lord might have to say to them all was, shame on you, shame, shame. But what did he say? Peace. He showed them his hands, his feet, and his side. Our Lord was not a superstar. He was not a supercar. But he said the word, Peace twice. The first time he said it, as I have just mentioned, was reconciliation. And that was why he showed his scars to show that we are reconciled again to the Father. Now he says peace again to the bishops. This was not a mission of reconciliation, but a mission of service. As my Father sent me, so also I send you. And he breathed upon them, his bishops, he breathed on them. In the Greek, or in the Septuagint version of the Bible, there is only one other time when the word breathed is used. And that is in Genesis, when he created the first man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is the second breathing. It is on the apostles, on the bishops. The first breathing made Adam. The second breathing was the new creation, the church. But there was also another instance of the power that is communicated to bishops, the power which really Should frighten us, and that is revealed in the book of Revelation. John the Evangelist was on the island of Patmos, exiled there because of his faith, and he writes the book of Revelation, which opens up the story of bishops. See the continuity of the church? At the very beginning, we find there are seven bishops. In seven different churches of Asia. Where they represent a kind of chronological sequence of bishops throughout history. Whether they represent a simultaneous state of bishops at any age of the church, we do not know. But St. John wrote the letter to the seven bishops of these churches. They were the guardian angels of the churches. That is why the bishops were described in those days. And here is the way the Holy Spirit thinks of us. After this supernatural revelation of the fact that we are in the mind of the Heavenly Father and then the first breathing of the Spirit is upon us, then lo and behold, look what we become. Of these seven churches, the first one was Ephesus. What did the Holy Spirit say of that? Zealous, orthodox, and great organizer, but there is no love. Samaria, the bishop is humble, dedicated to his flock, persecuted and approved. Pergium, the bishop is timid, in the face of evil, compromising. Theocrica, the bishop is good, but he fails to do anything about teachers of false religion. How modern this sounds, Sardis. The bishop is a pretender. He deceives himself. He calls himself living, but he is dead. The Church of Philadelphia The bishop is a good shepherd and keeps his word. Lodicia, rich on the outside, poverty stricken on the inside. That is the judgment on the seven bishops. Despite the power that they have received, despite the fact that in a faint manner like the son, they were in the bosom of the father. The church is always judged by bishops. That is the lesson of the book of Revelation. And in many instances in which St. John writes about these churches, he says, I know your works, your works, that is administration, finances, social service, schools. I know all of these. Then there comes a but. 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 I once heard of a preacher who was developing the theme about the three young men who were called by our Lord. Each of them said, I will go out, but... And then each gave an excuse. The preacher ended up by saying, It seems to me that many people are going to hell on their butts. Well, here there is a but such as Lost Love, a cold church, you let false prophets teach. The only two churches that were approved without any criticism were the churches that were persecuted. The wit of Bishop Sheen here, his understanding of his cross as bishop, when we come back, We will continue with Bishop Sheen's insights into being a bishop.
0: We'll return to Living Bread Radio Presents after a short break. This is Monsignor John Kozar, National Director of the Pontifical Mission Societies in the United States. For most of us, war is something we only read about. For Father John Thompson, war was something he lived through for 25 years in two African countries, Liberia and neighboring Sierra Leone. God was with me throughout, he recalls. And through that service, Father Thompson says he always tried his best to reach out to others, sharing with them God's abiding, sustaining love. Surrounded by distractions and difficulties in our everyday lives, we may lose sight of our greatest calling, To love one another. It's a lesson from the missions. Brought to you by the Pontifical Mission Societies. To learn more about becoming a missionary right where you are, visit our website at onefamilyandmission.org. Remember, if you're baptized, you're a missionary. Through prayer and sacrifice, in word and witness, we're all part of this One Family in Mission. And now the conclusion of today's production of Living Bread Radio Presents.
1: Friends, we're back and we're looking at Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's insights into what it means to be a bishop. His memoirs written in his autobiography, Treasure of Clay. He goes on to describe his meaning of what it means to be a bishop. He says, Now this is the story of the bishops as the Heavenly Father sees us, as our Lord sees us and sends us on our mission, and then bishops as we become so often in the Church. Today we do not receive very much respect. Some of this, on the part of some clergy, is because they are envious and would like to be bishops themselves. But perhaps the basic reason is that we are criticized for a wrong reason. In the book of Revelations, we are condemned for want of spirituality. No one today very much condemns us for that because for the most part, bishops are spiritual men. But it comes out in service rather than in love. Then, too, those who criticize the bishops never know the kind of life that they are leading, their worries, their headaches, how many rulings in a diocese. I remember once landing in a plane in Los Angeles Airport, and the porter who took my bag said to me, "'Everybody knows you. It must be wonderful to be a bishop.'" And I said to him, Suppose you had 400 children and 10 were very sick and 5 were dying. Would you not worry and stay awake at night? Well, that's my family. It is not as wonderful as you think. Bishops are strong on two conditions. One that they remain loyal to Peter and the other, that there be some corporate action or an inner flow of life between them. First of all, reliance on Peter and his successors. Our blessed Lord in the 22nd chapter of Luke said that the devil had asked to sift the apostles as wheat There is no indication that our blessed Lord denied that there would be a demonic trial or testing. But the Lord gave an answer to the demonic in this sense. Out of the eleven apostles that were there, he chose one, Peter. And he said, Peter, I have prayed for you. Our Lord did not say, I will pray for all of you in your totality. He prayed for Peter that his faith will not fail. And that after he returned, after the fall, that he confirmed the brethren. In other words, we bishops are strong only when we are united with the Holy Father, the chair of St. Peter. As we begin to separate from him, we are no longer under the prayer of Christ. And if we are not under the prayer of Christ, we are no longer strong. We are no longer guardians or angels of the churches. The second source of strength is that there be some communication and interflow of life and wisdom between the members of the Episcopal fraternity. This was made clear on the night our blessed Lord washed the feet of the bishops. He reminded them to be humble and that as he washed their feet, so we were to wash one another's feet. In other words, there was to be a community of service between us. This, the Vatican Council affirmed in a sense that it asked for the collegiality of bishops. In each country, there was to be an Episcopal conference, a conference of bishops, allowing them to express their common problems and their common solutions. There can also be, however, in the midst of this double strength, some weakness, and that is when we go off on our own. I do not mean to say when we make judgments apart from the Episcopal conference, that would not be true. As a matter of fact, there can be too much reliance on the Episcopal Conference to the extent that the bishop may lose his own personality and strength and be strong in his own diocese, but rather it is when we depend upon human resources and power instead of the divine. The Sunday after Easter, there were seven men in a boat. They went out on their own. They were not sent, and they labored all night and took nothing. The Lord appeared on the shore, not recognizing him at once. He asked that they cast their net on the other side. Now they were under divine direction. Now they were powerful. Therefore, whenever you find a bishop in isolation from the spirit of the church, relying upon the human rather than the divine upon human knowledge, rather than the inspiration of the Spirit, then there is weakness. There is little evangelization and making few converts and the loss of the Spirit of the Church. One of my most important duties as a bishop, Bishop Sheen writes, was to be in charge of the propagation of the faith, I was appointed as national director when I was still a professor at Catholic University of America. I had been teaching in a narrow classroom. Now the doors were thrown open, and I was invited to evangelize the world. It was a vocation very much after my own taste because I loved evangelizing and making converts. All during my teaching career, I would go to New York and Boston almost every weekend and instruct converts and preach. Even before I was appointed, my love for the missions was directed primarily to our domestic missions. I built several small churches in Alabama. One summer I traveled in a trailer with a priest who later on became a bishop. Bishop Durick, through the states talking on corners and in cornfields to anyone who would listen. On one occasion, I received a letter from a Negro woman in Carolina. I went down to the village, gave a mission on the steps of the public school, and afterwards built a church on the main street. It was in the Diocese of Bishop McGinnis. It was about a year after I was named director that I was named a bishop. Hence, I have always identified the missions with my bishopric. Bishop Sheen certainly gives us an insight into what it means to be a bishop what the apostles had to learn and what he himself was given as a bishop to take up the cross in the name of Jesus. And certainly, being named the National Director of the Propagation of the Faith meant that he had to organize, be part of the work of the bigger world. Next time, we will look at Bishop Sheen in that bigger world as how his life as being a bishop unfolds more and more into what leads him to the pilgrimage of his final journey to the kingdom of God. Bye for now, and God bless you.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents... For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.